Well, uh, let me extend my uh, welcome uh, to Eric's welcome, uh, and uh, it's great to have you here if you're visiting with us this morning. I uh, just want to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about uh, the death of Jesus, but before we do that, why don't we uh, bow together in prayer? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, give you thanks uh, that we can meet together today and remember the death of Jesus. Uh, And Father, we pray that as we do that, that you would open our eyes to behold the wonder of what you've done, open our hearts to believe it and to receive it, uh, and help us to trust in you and in Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, celebrating the death of a man, celebrating the execution of a man on a cross seems at one level utterly bizarre, doesn't it? But not only uh, is celebrating the death of a man or the execution of a man utterly bizarre, the idea, I think, that God could save people, that God could rescue people through the death of one man, through the execution of a man, seems at face value, frankly, almost ridiculous. How does that work? How can the death of one man redeem humanity? Well, hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, God spoke about exactly that. He spoke about that unlikeliness, that unexpectedness of all that he was going to do uh, hundreds of years later in Jesus Christ. He spoke about the unlikely direction that redemption and salvation and rescue would come from and how he would save his people. Uh, If you have a Bible, you might like to turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah and to the 53rd chapter. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, just listen along as, uh, as we look through this passage this morning, Isaiah 53. But what I want to do over the next 15 minutes or so is to try and work through this passage uh, to try and understand why it is that we celebrate this unexpected rescue through the death of Jesus. So Isaiah 53 Uh, where God says, first of all, in verse 1, who has believed our message and to whom whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The first verse of Isaiah 53 picks up on that unlikeliness, that unexpectedness of what God would do. Who has believed what God is going to do? It seems so unlikely. Who's believed it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who even knows what God is going to do? Who can foresee what God is going to do? It's that unlikely. It's that unexpected. What God did through Jesus was both unexpected and unforeseen. And yet, God said beforehand that he would do it. Jesus was an unexpected saviour. And the way in which he was unexpected is filled out then by the rest of this Old Testament chapter. Jesus was an unexpected saviour. He was also a despised saviour. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Most people expect to be saved by attractive and popular people. Our newspapers and TVs and social media is filled with beautiful people. We watch films about beautiful people saving the world. When was the last time you watched a film about an ugly person saving the world or an unpopular person saving the world? It just doesn't happen. And if they start off ugly, they end up at the end of the film as being a beautiful person. The glasses come off, the hair gets let down, they change their clothes, and it's a classic rags to riches tale. We want to be saved, don't we, by the popular person and the beautiful person. And we have popular and likeable sports stars. I don't know if you watched uh, the World Cup Cup cricket final uh, last Sunday, but Michael Clarke got a standing ovation from 90,000 people when he left the ground for the last time uh, in his last one-day international. People love popular figures, popular saviours. But Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was not a popular saviour. He was one from whom men hide their faces. You know, you see someone coming down the other other side of the street and you quickly look away so that they don't see that you're there. Jesus received no standing ovation. He made no cover of Time magazine. People despised him. And when Eric read for us from Mark's account of Jesus' death, We saw that. We saw the soldiers mocking him, the crowds mocking him, the religious leaders mocking him. From some of the other accounts of Jesus' death, we learn that even some of the people who were crucified with him on the same day mocked him. Jesus was an unexpected saviour. He was a despised saviour. He was also a cursed saviour. Verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. When people looked at Jesus hanging on the cross that day, they saw someone who was being cursed by God. In the Old Testament, to be strung up on a tree like that was a penalty for sin. It was a It was a sign of being cursed by God. And as people looked at Jesus hanging there on the cross, that's what they thought. They thought to themselves, that man is under God's penalty. That man is cursed by God. What would it be like to be forsaken by God? Well, you may not even believe uh, that God exists, so you might not be able to imagine what it would be like to be forsaken by God. But suppose... With me for a moment, uh, if you don't believe that God exists, suppose with me for a moment that God does exist, what would it be like to be forsaken by the God of the Bible? It would mean being cut off from the one person that mattered. It would mean being cut off from the very God who made us and loves us, who sustains us, who gives us life. It would mean being cast into the darkness. It would mean being cast into a world where there's no good thing, no joy, no love, no peace, no happiness, nothing. It would mean being cast into a place where there's no end to the torment of the misery that we human beings inflict on each other. The pain of never-ending injustice and bitterness and hatred and malice and spite. That's what happened to Jesus. He was forsaken by God. 
cursed by God, cut off from God, suffering the wrath of God and the curse of God. But how can a cursed saviour be helpful? How does that help us? Which brings us to the next observation. Jesus was an unexpected saviour, he was a despised saviour, he was a cursed saviour, but he was also a substituting saviour. Verse 4, he was pierced for our transgressions, sorry, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was cursed by God, but the curse that he suffered was not his curse, but ours. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All that we did wrong against God, he took upon himself. We were the ones estranged from God. He wasn't. He's the Son of God. Come from the Father's right hand. But he was estranged and forsaken by God as our substitute. He died in our place. And in fact, the Bible says not only that Jesus stood in our place, that he was there for us, but it also says that if we trust him, we are so closely identified with him, so closely united with him, that when he died, we died with him. And when he rose from the dead, we rose as well. And that when he ascended into the heavenly places to be seated at the right hand of God, we ascended with him as well. Everything that happened to Christ, we shared in. So it's not just that it happened over there, out there. But if we trust in Jesus, when he died, we died with him. He suffered in our place. His punishment is our peace. His wounds are our healing. Jesus was an unexpected saviour, a despised saviour, a cursed saviour, a substituting saviour. He was also an innocent saviour. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You see, it's easy to jump to the conclusion when we see people who suffer, it's easy to think they must deserve it. It's their fault They've brought this on themselves. They must have done something to offend God and so that's why this is happening to them. But God says that's not true of his son. That's not true of Jesus. Jesus was led silently, peacefully, obediently to do what the Father had called him to do. He was assigned a grave with the wicked but he'd done nothing wrong. He hadn't even spoken a bad word. Imagine that. Imagine a person who'd never said anything wrong or unkind or untoward. What makes Jesus' death a powerful death is that it was an innocent death. I could die for you, but it wouldn't do you any good because I'm just as sinful and rotten as the rest of us. 
it wouldn't be a pleasing sacrifice to God. And you could die for yourself, you could grind yourself into the dust, working hard to try and make things right with God, but that wouldn't work either, because you're not innocent, and neither am I. I came across a great quote from Charles Spurgeon this morning that nails it so well. He said, morality can keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Christ to keep you out of hell. It takes the perfect blood of a perfect saviour to make a perfectly pleasing sacrifice for sins. Jesus was an unexpected saviour, a despised saviour, a cursed saviour, a substituting saviour, an innocent saviour, and last of all, and most importantly of all, a triumphant saviour. Verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering... He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide with the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It was God's will to crush Jesus, to make his life an offering for the guilt of our sin. But Jesus' sacrifice is so perfect that God saw it and made Jesus triumphant. He gave Jesus back his innocent life, which he'd given up for us in obedience to the Father. Jesus faced death, He faced darkness, but now he is the light of life. And Jesus was not only vindicated himself and justified himself, but by his death and resurrection he has justified others as well. He didn't vindicate perfect people. He vindicated sinners. Because he was numbered a sinner like us, even though he wasn't. And because he poured out his life and bore our sins so that we can go free. Who would have believed it if God hadn't have said beforehand that he would do it? Who would have thought up what God would do in Jesus if God hadn't have announced it? Why do we celebrate the death of Jesus? Why do we celebrate such an unexpected and seemingly unlikely thing? We do it because although Jesus was an unexpected saviour, he was a despised, cursed, substituting saviour, an innocent saviour and a triumphant saviour. Even still, I think it can be a little bit baffling sometimes to try and understand all that's going on. But it's important, I think, for us to realise that we're not saved by understanding every detail of how Jesus' death and resurrection work. We're saved by realising that God is really saving people through Jesus, through what Jesus has done, and we're saved by trusting God that he'll do the same for us too. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer now, uh, and if you really trust that God is saving people through what Jesus has done, uh, and if you trust that God will do the same for you in Jesus, then you might like to pray along 
this, uh, with this prayer in your own heart uh, and your own mind. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is the Saviour of the world. Thank you that he died his despised, cursed death on a cross so that people like me might be free from death and judgment and so that people like me might become your children. I trust that because he died, I died with him. I trust that his innocence is now my innocence. I trust that his triumph and resurrection is now my triumph and resurrection. Father, I still have some doubts. but help me to trust Jesus more and more every day. And help me to know more and more every day that I belong to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.